Before we start this episode, I just want to thank you for listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you rate us and review us, it helps get our show out in front of new listeners. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy this interview. Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hawkeiser Ilkovich. Today, I am here with Dia Sims, who is the president of Combs Enterprises. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We're so excited to talk to you. And she is a New York Women in Communications Matrix winner. So congratulations. Very impressive and amazing accomplishment. We always start with coffee. That's the first part of all of our conversations. So What's your coffee drink of choice? My coffee drink of choice is a skim milk vanilla latte. Delicious. And actually one of my first jobs was at the coffee beanery. Really? Guadia Airport. So what? I can make a mean ole latte, double espresso, whatever you like. That's amazing. <laughs> She's not serving the coffee here at this not interview. Not today, but I can. But I can. I'm not above it or beneath it. <laughs> I love it. I feel like that is... Truly, if you can make the coffee, oh, you yeah. can do everything. Absolutely. You have to start there. <laughs> great, that's great. Hot or iced? Do you prefer hot? I prefer hot. Okay. I'm hot all day. Uh, <laughs> we're talking on a very hot New York City day, and um, it's just making, the whole thing is making me very warm. That is a great kind of uh, start to our next question, which is about your career. So you started making coffee. Yes. Um, and yes. I'd love to hear kind of what the trajectory of your career was from your experience in school to any internships you had and then the steps you took along the way to get where you are today. No, absolutely. My um, trajectory sounds fancy, but um, <laughs> journey <laughs> was um, completely unplanned, although I did try to be the absolute best at whatever I was doing. So I tried to put smiley faces on my lattes <laughs> at the coffee beanery. Um, Before latte art oh, was, I was cool. Just, and by the way, this was way pre-Starbucks, so we were like popping at LaGuardia Airport like Pilots lined up at 5 a.m. I love it. Um, I did a lot. I actually worked at the airport for when I was in high school, but you don't want to hear that. Then I went to Morgan State in uh, in Baltimore, where I studied psychology. Um, at the time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into law school or medical school, which I did neither. Um, I thought psychology was a good bridge mm-hmm. um, degree. Um, what I ended up doing instead was I got recruited to this special program they have, the Department of Defense, which I felt sounded fancy. Wow, <laughs> that does sound fancy. Um, where, where I was leaning more towards law school, um, where I was trained in how to negotiate contracts. I went to what was called the Defense Acquisition University. I had a secret clearance. What? It was pretty hot. <laughs> Do you still have that clearance? Can you still go back? Apparently no. it doesn't work anymore, but I don't think I can tell you. Okay. <laughs> Um, which was awesome. So awesome is super scary because I was, when I graduated, I was 21. I worked in a kind of a small remote part of Maryland, the southernmost tip of Maryland. And um, I was literally negotiating a $120 million contract with the taxpayer's money. I had a, no team. It was just me and my boss who was out all the time. Um, and I was negotiating against people who had been in the defense industry for 55, 65 years. And speaking of coffee, absolutely everybody in the room assumed I was there strictly to get their coffee. <laughs> um, but it was, it was. I look back and I always feel like it was just a perfect first job because I had to spend my nights and weekends memorizing the federal acquisition regulations, which are 
470,000 million pages long. Um, (laughs) And I had to understand how to be tenacious and effective and genuinely like win for the taxpayer in a room where I had to convince everybody else in the room of why I belong there. Um, So I did that for a while. And then, honestly, I I moved from what was called the Naval Air Sea Command. I was literally buying helicopters and trainer jets and integrated logistics support and tripartite agreements. It was was, was amazing training. And to this day, um, what I learned in terms of negotiation comes in handy, whether it's negotiating at Procombs Enterprises or negotiating with my husband and where we're having lunch. The tools will last you forever. <laughs> that's a valuable tool. That's what I'm talking. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, I'm like, super valuable. Of any first job, this is going to stick with Set you. Set you up for your whole entire life. When you talk about, I mean, this wasn't the point of this per se, but when you look back to the things you're not getting in like high school and college and like real news you can use, to me, actual negotiating skills are such an important thing that I particularly yeah. think that women need more of. Yeah. Um, having at this point been able to work with so many thousands and thousands of different, you know, young women, young men, it is an absolute step difference in the way young women come to negotiate for jobs, for their promotions, etc. than I see young men doing. And it's, I, it, it, I encourage, read the books, do the research, be prepared, know your value. Yeah, there's no, I mean, as you're saying this, it's like, wouldn't it be great if there was a tool that was kind of, that everyone had access to what Absolutely. you had access to? Because really, we just learn on the job, right? I mean, it's a great idea to recommend reading about it, yeah. and <laughs> you can Google this stuff. But, you know, but it is, it's amazing that you got that first and foremost. No, it was awesome. shaped your career. Absolutely. Um, and then after a while, I got kind of bored, honestly. Um, it was just a different pace. I like being the fast pace. I like learning every second. And I was complaining about my job, which I don't recommend, um, <laughs> to my, at the time, to my roommate. And a guy, a gentleman friend she was dating was overheard. He said, you, you should do sales. And I was like, I don't want to do sales. I don't want to push things on people. He was like, no, no, people are buying stuff anyway. You should do radio sales. And I was like, okay, I'll interview for it. Uh, <laughs> you just listen to this guy, random guy. <laughs> I'll always, I will take, I will interview for anything. You call me right now and be like, you I'll sure I'll interview for it. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I went and interviewed, and it was uh, a radio station called Mix 106.5 in Towson, Maryland. Played all the hot AC. And it was, um... And it was, and I took the job. I got the job, and I took it, and left this very stable Department right. of Defense that had government a job. government, federal government job that had a clearly laid out trajectory where they actually you jump grades. And this job was very risky. You, it was eat what you kill. Right. Um, you got paid on a draw, which meant you had to sell enough to cover yourself. Um, but it was awesome. It helped me to be really entrepreneurial. I had a real immersion in not just sales, but marketing and how to build businesses for your clients. Radio sales is wild scrappy. Right. Like you really have to figure out, I'm going to sell it and then I'm going to make it and then I'm going to measure it and then I'm going to you to buy it again. <laughs> right. So, um, I did that for a while. And while I was doing it, I was like, I think I can run my own business. So I also launched a small marketing company in Maryland at the time. Um, and i worked specifically precursor to later, um, with spirits companies mm-hmm. on promotional models and um, at you know at liquor stores and nightclubs, et cetera. So I pulled wow. together. I was like, my friends are smart and hot. So I pulled together <laughs> like 20 that I knew and then went out and sold those resources to Seagram's wow. and Appleton Rum, et cetera, and did that for a couple of years. Um, and you could balance both the jobs? Like they were both flexible so enough? I quit. Okay. So, <laughs> so no. So no. I could not. So I quit my job just to do that for a while okay. and then decided that I missed having health insurance and got into pharmaceutical sales oh, and wow. I did do both uh, for a while. Moved to New York, stayed in pharmaceutical sales with a different company and then went back into radio sales um, here in New York, which is the job I had before coming to work for Combs Enterprises. 
um, the same guy who my friend was dating at that time at my house in Bowie, Maryland, worked at the radio station in New no. York. Totally crazy. <laughs> and, and totally, totally, I mean, we, we had kind of kept in touch, but it was just random where I knew a young lady who was looking for a job, and I was like, I'm going to introduce you to her, talk to her about radio sales. Because I love, by the way, I love pharmaceutical sales. And I was like, I'm never getting out of this. This job is wow. awesome. Um, so I brought her up and then just ended up talking to the general manager while she was interviewing. And he was like, why don't you get back into this? I was like, have you, I'm doing great. Right. I was like, I, I'm winning trips. I'm on Hawaii. I was like, I'm number one in my region. I go pharma. I'll sell these drugs for the rest of my life. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, and then um, they offered me a really great deal. They said, well, look, we really, we feel like we'd like you to come on board. And we're going to give you a great package. I came on board. That same guy left. And I inherited his entire list, which was all the music labels in New York City. Wow. Um, which is how I ended up breaking Bad Boy Records. I ended up breaking Sean John as clients. And one of the marketing executives honestly, just reached out to me and was like, look, Sean is looking for a chief of staff. And I was like, she was like, I had no really particular experience in that. And she right. was like, I just, I just think you guys will get along. And you send me a lot of emails at 3 in the morning. <laughs> I don't know. Just would you interview for it? Again, yep. Right. I'll interview for it. <laughs> Ask me to interview for anything. Sure, I will. Um, so I interviewed and um, wow. got to interview with Sean, and it was the fastest interview I ever had in my life. Um, and they called me and said, "Look, he would like you to take the job, but would you be willing to come on as his executive assistant?" Um, and I was very genuine, like, "You can call me whatever you want, but this is what I need to be paid." Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. Honestly, like, we get very wrapped up in titles. Like, we get yeah. very wrapped up in titles, and I love that, that you're like, okay, what's the, I'll awesome. do whatever works. <laughs> just give me the title and the money. I mean, just give me the money. And then. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like I'm a, I am a geek at heart, and what I was interesting to me about this was I was like, I bet you I could learn a lot from this right. guy. I, and honestly, that's why I was very much like, I don't care what you call me. I didn't have, you know, I was single, living in New York, and I was like, there's no other time when I'll be able to take a job right. like this. Um, so that's how I ended up here. What an incredible... Incredible path, but there's so many lessons to be learned from it. Also, like just keeping in touch with people because there's this one guy who like has this threat, and also being interested in like working with people and not being obsessed about like titles or companies or anything. I mean, that's kind of by keeping your an open mind, you got where you are. Absolutely amazing. So, what then was your trajectory in the we're say trajectory again? That's where. <laughs> um, what was your journey within the company? You got here. You took that job. Was it what you expected? Mm. I knew um, Sean has a reputation for being incredibly like disciplined, works around the clock, um, and I grew up in New York and had people in common, so I was very familiar with um, the reputation of, of bad boy comes enterprises and Sean comes. Um, so I was to my friends like, bye bye, I'll see you later. Like just right. for, I don't know what this is gonna be, <laughs> but I know it's gonna be busy. Um, so I started executive assistant, and I did that for the first three months, and I actually just recently had to pull up at something from this time period to see that I was. Um, I was promoted to senior executive assistant like on my third month and then I was promoted to chief of staff like six months later and the funny thing was um, I started getting he started giving me more and more responsibility and I went and asked him I said okay well I feel like this I'm doing the job blah blah and he's like we'll have to think about it he never really formally gave me the job he just started to introduce me like two days later we were meeting with somebody he was like this is my chief of staff right. so I was like, changing my <laughs> changing my signature <laughs> Most important part, the email signature. Most important part is the signature. Um, I worked as chief of staff for a couple of years, and then I worked with um, uh, Sean, our CFO at the time, to negotiate, back to my good contract negotiation skills, to negotiate our deal with Diageo for Sirac Vodka. And when we got close to finalizing the deal, I went back to him and said, 
look, marketing is the lifeblood of this organization. It's the heartbeat of everything that you've ever done from the mid-90s, right? Right. Um, and we no longer have an in-house marketing agency to launch this brand. We're about to go to launch. Would you let me replace myself and build the agency from scratch? And he said, replace yourself and you can build the agency from scratch. Um, so I did that. I uh, launched Blue Flame, launched the Zorak Vodka brand, um, and got some promotions there, like a vice president, an EVP, and then general manager. And then we went and acquired another spirits brand, Tequila. So we also launched an internal spirits division, Combs, Line, and Spirits. So I got promoted to president of that, along with managing the agency. Um, and then we had a COO who left. So I took on the role of interim COO um, for a while and then got promoted to the first president um, in the history of Combs Enterprises. Just as last night. Wow, congratulations. Thank you very much. That's amazing. Thank you. What advice do you have for people who are looking to move up within an organization? Because I think we're often told, like, well, if you want to make more money or if you want a new title, you have to leave because they're not necessarily going to have the funds or the opportunities. But you've done, you know, an incredible job of moving up in-house. What were, you know, what are some things you think that made it maybe a little bit easier than jumping to another company or just general advice for kind of moving up within? Um, so first, I, I was very much of that mindset. I mean, in my, I worked a lot of places from in my 20s. Right. Like, I'm 42 now, but until I started at Combs Enterprises the week after I turned 30. Okay. And for my entire 20s, I was at probably at six companies. Right? So I jumped around a lot because that was my rationale. I'm like, when I jump around, I get 20% increase. Of course. When I stay someplace, right. I don't. I think the thing that was unique about this place is we're a portfolio of brands. So there were a lot of opportunities to, to have different experiences within the same house. But I think you'll find the same thing whether you're at Procter & Gamble or Pfizer or whatever it is. There's opportunities to um, feel like you're moving around. One of the biggest <clears throat> things, and if, you, if you're not familiar with this in your listener world, look up the CEO Genome Project. Hmm. Um, it's a, they, this is an amazing project where they took, I want to say, like over 24,000 um, C-suite executives and they did like these little cuts of the study to determine who was what they called a CEO sprinter Typically, in order from the first day of your job to become a CEO, on average, is 24 years. So these people all beat that average. Right, wow. And they all have like the same three things in common, essentially. And some of it was behavioral and some of it was actual activities. One of the biggest ones was go take over something nobody wants to do. And it could be small <laughs> or it can really be big. It can be as like, I went on my own and organized a supply closet and put all the labels on it and put it in the order everybody uses. They prefer the silver staplers over the white staplers. Like, but it's a mindset. Or it could be, there's a failing division and you would say, look, I know, I feel like I can do my regular job, but I want the incremental help to put together a strat plan for this failing division. Take on a big problem that nobody else wants to deal with. Another cool thing about taking on a big, messy problem is that you can kind of design your own metrics. Right. No, right. it's been failing. <laughs> so, like, can you get it to break even? It's going to be like, Shh, it was doing terrible, and now it's doing zero. Right. They're going to Better be like, than negative. God bless that girl. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you got to, you, because then you can own what success looks like. Right. Um, the other thing was, like, jumping around. Like, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of different things. Um, and, de and negotiated defense contracts and pharmaceutical sales, and I sold radio, and I ran my own marketing company. Yeah. And, um, but well, the idea is that basically, like, don't be scared to take a risk and learn something you didn't know. Almost all these CEO sprinters, over like 90% of them, were learning things on the job. Right. And I think sometimes, um, you know, again, I hate to say this, but it does seem to be in my personal history disproportionately young women who feel like they have to know so much before taking on something. Where the best learning you're going to do is through experience. And probably nobody else knows what they're doing anyway. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Probably no one else knows what they're doing either. Um, 
Um, so anyway, look it up. It's a great study that gives That's you like some so real practical advice on how to move forward. The last thing I'll go back to the negotiation is don't be like, I'm very conscious around, you know, you have to be really mindful of your time. So like almost right. every six months I have my own like, grabbed a mirror and like had an evaluation with myself about am I progressing? Am I learning? Am I moving um, financially the way I want to move? Am I getting the exposure? Am I getting the credit, the respect? Whatever the goals are for you, it is very easy and I've seen this firsthand for three months to slip away and be 30 years and if you don't give yourself those real check-ins and this is just a you and you conversation, mm-hmm. um, it will be easy to be in, a, in an organization where you feel frustrated and you don't feel like you've been able to have a chance to shine. Yeah, and, and when you... Gotcha's most recent job is kind of the natural next question. When you when you became the president, did you feel like it was something you didn't know how to do and you figured it out? Or did you feel like what you had learned, especially because you've been at this company throughout your time here, prepared you and you're like, okay, I know exactly what this job is because it's a new role? I felt like both. Right. I mean, just honestly. <laughs> no, like, I mean, and, and I was, and to be clear, I was um, – and this is something I think I haven't shared before where, you know, Sean was looking at external candidates, right? So it wasn't like we ended up this way, but it didn't, it, it wasn't that way all along. And I, and I was very clear about like, you can put me up against whoever's running like the Milky Way. There's right. nobody who's going to have the institutional knowledge and the, you know, like, and the proven track record in this organization of continuing to build business over business over business. Um, so I felt very confident that, that I was the right pick. Right. Um, in that sense, but yeah, there's tons of things that I just absolutely had to learn on the job, mm-hmm. or ask friends, or read a research, or you know, listen to podcasts. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you too could be learning right now. Well, it's interesting. I talk to a lot of very incredible, successful women on this podcast. One of the recurring themes is that, like, when you start a new job, you usually don't feel, and I think this is very female specific. Like, you don't feel like you're ready for it. I mean, sometimes it's even as bad as you deserved it. And I think that's something to really, you know, look at yourself and say, but I'm, you know, I was given this role. I can do it. And I'm sure. thousand percent. My, uh, a dear friend of mine is a a regional medical scientist, physician, brilliant. And she'll literally call me and like, I just spoke to like a thousand cardiologists and I'll feel like a sham. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like you, like you feel like I'm fooling them. (laughs) But the reality is, um, human beings, if you, Sorry, I'm such a science freak, but like we're 99.5% the same. You look at genomes, like the barometer between what is the worst of us and the best of us. You may feel like it's not dramatic, but it probably isn't. You know what I mean? Like the truth of the matter is you think like you've learned everything by a certain point, but you get 20% new brain matter on it like an annual basis. You can actually change. You can actually learn. If you're in a room, you're in a room for a reason. Um, And whatever you have to do to stretch to get to where you need to be, trust me, everybody else is going through the same thing. Right. And that's, it's really great to think about. It's so good. Yeah. You also pursued a secondary degree, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we, where, do, where did that fall in this? Um, <laughs> we, we missed it completely. <laughs> so when I worked for the Department of Defense, there was a school called Florida Institute of Technology, there, okay. um, and they are closely aligned, at the time at least, with a lot of DOD bases. Okay. So I was able to go get my master's degree while on the base um, oh, wow. locally in Maryland. So I got my master's degree in science and um, on contract management. And... What did you think of that experience? Do you recommend it, especially for people who kind of, you know, are following eventually the path you've gotten to now? I know a lot of our listeners think about grad school. I think a lot of people do and are like, should I do it? And I know in some cases you have to do it, obviously, if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor. But what's your kind of opinion having gone through it? So me personally, um, one of the things I have to say, I recommend getting an MBA for sure. 
um, as quickly as you can or when you're ready to. I, I recommend getting some real life work experience because I think the problem that I had is I got it pretty quickly after I graduated mm -hmm. undergrad and it was relatively meaningless um, to me. So I don't know that, I probably didn't take it as seriously as I should. I kind of did it after work and whatever it took to get it done and it didn't have a lot of application. I was able to go to this uh, Women's Leadership Institute at Harvard last oh, year. Oh yeah, that was another good, you know, great example of what Sean. When I got the role, he said, "Where do you want? Do you want to go someplace to enhance?" And I said, "Yes, I want to go to Harvard." <laughs> so I got <laughs> I mean, to go there not? for a week, and wow. um, and I actually remember more from that one week, not just what the instructors, but it was just the women were so meeting the people badass. It was the it was like New Zealand, Australia, London. Oh, I just put a billion dollar company. Oh, I, like serious like. I learned so much from the other women in that room. I learned more in that one week than I learned getting my entire master's degree at like 23 just because I didn't have the level of application. So I would encourage the postgraduate, but get it when you're ready to absorb it and take it and take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And then back to my CEO genome project, yeah. it actually shows that less than 20% actually have an Ivy League um, post degree. So just wow. depending on, I think it's good for your personal enrichment, but it's not a guarantee for like, right. You know what I mean? It doesn't make it doesn't mean you will be it's successful. Not a magic. And it also doesn't. Yeah, matter. yeah, it's not a magic trick. <laughs> and let's talk about your involvement in philanthropy. Um, tell us a little bit about. I know you do a lot of philanthropy. What you're doing, yes. and then want to talk about you know what kind of motivates you, and almost also how you have time to do some of this stuff. I think is really important because I think some people don't let themselves get involved because they're so busy at work. Um, so I hope you could, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so one of the most important things we do at Combs Enterprises is we just launched a school two years ago um, called Capital Prep in Harlem, um, which is, you know, Sean's hometown. Um, he says this, and I say it all the time, we've been so fortunate to have um, had repeat success in spirits, movies, television, fragrance, water, clothing. Um, but, and you should come if you can. <laughs> when you walk into this school, like these kids, we've never done anything even remotely close to as important as these kids are. Um, so part of it for me is fortunate is part of my job, right? right? As, I have, as I get the chance to spend with all these amazing kids at Capital Prep. I just found out this morning, I ran to a board member at an earlier meeting, um, that we're on average, on average, moving these kids up two grade levels in math and English. Wow, just oh my gosh. Um, which, you know, for another podcast, right. is great news and terrible news. Because if it's this easy, we shouldn't be doing it everywhere. Right. Right? Um, and then the other the other organization I spend a lot of time with is an organization called Thread. Okay, they are based in Maryland, and it's run by this phenomenal woman who is a scientist by trade. And you'll see a, a theme with me generally in that we get you so many opportunities to engage in philanthropy. But what was particularly important to me and interesting to me about this organization is it's so incredibly uh, metrics driven and math and science based mm -hmm. in an effective way that changes lives. And um, we identify people who are uh, high school freshmen who have like a 0.05 or lower GPA. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> and work with them, essentially surround them with this volunteer family. And we're getting over 85, 90% graduation rates wow. on a regular basis. Wow. And these kids are, we had one kid who, uh, a young girl, um, who was just enormously distressed. Parents were handicapped, drugs, um, you know, being prostitute. I mean, really, like these are not, these are real dire situations. Um, and then, you know, kind of to my earlier point that your brain matter actually can still right. change if people don't realize as adults. Like, we feel like these are the people who are absolutely lost and abandoned. And no, these people too, everybody can, has an opportunity to become their best selves, which is what I love about what Thread uh, represents. In terms of time, I don't really feel like I have the time not to do it because right. I am, 
I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, not just like Pollyanna talk. I, I'm so, I feel so grateful. I really feel so grateful when I just wake up in the morning. Like, oh, I'm awake again? Another day? <laughs> this is so amazing. So, like, be anything, any small amount right. of thing that I could do um, that I hope is enriching to somebody else, I just feel like it's the, it's the absolute least I could do. It's the absolute least, you know, small, tiny toll I could pay um, for how incredibly blessed I am. So you have this incredibly demanding job. You had to do the charity work. You go back and forth, right, between, yes, between Maryland, Maryland and New York, New York and L.A. And LA. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I I never like to use, like, work-life balance. We, you know, we kind of, like, remove that from our vocabulary. Yes. It's not a thing Doesn't anymore. Exist, yeah. But do you have any thoughts or tips on kind of making it all work? Like, are there things that you do? I think one thing that you said before that I've heard from a lot of our guests also is you have self-check-ins, which I think is really important. That probably helps you kind of reprioritize and reprioritize every weekday, quarter, whenever you're able to do it. But is there any other advice? I mean, I think it's becoming more common to, you know, kind of live in multiple places because of the nature of technology. Like, you can work on the go. I think that's becoming, you know, more popular. People want to do it. So any kind of advice on how you you make it work? That's just a very small question. Not a huge... (laughs) (laughs) That's not a huge question. Um... I don't think we've got it right. I think we're like the test generation. It's incredibly right. hard. I won't pretend like it's not. It's incredibly difficult because when you're doing something great, you're sucking at something else most of the time. <laughs> Just is what it is, right? You know what I mean? Like, um, I'm going to use that as my life motto, yeah. right? It's great. It's just like, I'm doing something's great. These this stuff can suck. That sucks. Um, I think you have to be the for real, like, honestly, kind of psycho master of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I say this a lot, but my New Year's resolution for now, a decade straight, is just do what you say you're going to do. But that means saying no to stuff. Right. Right? So, I mean, the critical thing is, you know, we've all heard the adage of we all have the same 24 hours a day as Beyonce, right? The truth is, like, that, that's that's real life. Like, I, I, especially for anybody who's younger, I, I know so many people who are talking about all the things they were going to do when I was in college with them over 20 years ago. Still. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you really can do whatever you want and does it, whatever makes you happy, but you have to be like, you have to get that time in shape. Mm-hmm. Every second counts. I think people take like, I need to prepare for something for 45 right. weeks. Like, no, you can get, you, what Just you can do, do in 90 seconds, you can get a lot done with 90 mm-hmm. seconds. And um, for me, it really is just an enormous value to time. And I, I mean, you know, this is not uh rocket science but I have an adult like group of people around me I really mm-hmm. do um, we'll, we'll different female executives at the same conference will be like chipping on one nanny I'll bring your nanny I'll bring mine right. like, you have to think about how can you if you're fortunate enough to have like a great tribe or a great networking group like don't hesitate to lean on each other because there's no way we can do this by ourselves right Oh, I love that. Such good advice. I mean, I know that um, Randy Zuckerberg's new book, and I don't, I haven't read it, so I don't want to completely get this wrong, but it's like, I think it's called Pick, th- Pick Three or Choose Three. It's yes. about like, you can have every, you can have it all, but just not at the same time. So like every day, and I think that's really good advice, where it's like, you'll do it all, just it's not going to all happen today, right? <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, that's what used to be the adage about New York. Like, you can you can never have all three things. You can either have a great job, a great relationship, or a great apartment, but right. you cannot have all three at once. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Still true about New York, right? (laughs) Well, New York Women in Communications has a new initiative, which is called Women Heard. And um, it's really an opportunity for women to share their voices and speak candidly about some of the kind of career things that we maybe were not speaking openly about in the past. You know, I mean, I think the most obvious one that is talked about generally, you know, is money and how women don't talk about money and kind of opening it up. But we have really been working on 
different ways to help women succeed in the workplace, break the glass ceiling, and so brought some more kind of general um, questions about career. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what I think is really, has been interesting and has been starting a lot of interesting conversations is about um, employer benefits other than salary. So other than salary, because, okay, what you're going to get paid is going to be at a lot of places, like, determined by so many factors that are out of your control. But what do you think is a, a or many um, important employer benefit that women should think about when they're interviewing for a job? I think it's how can you participate whenever you save or make money. So if you say, look, I like to take on this initiative that I think will affect X, X amount of sales, it can be small. I'd like to participate in 0.5% of that. I'm Here's my crumb. If I measure this and track it with XX and analytics, can I come back to in 12 months? If I move it, can I get this? Because almost everybody doesn't mind participating right. when there's found money, if you will. And conversely, because you're not always in a job that can affect sales. But if you're running a human resources team or you're in budgeting and you say, um, look, I took a look at our, or could I take a look at the budget for my department? I think I could find ways to save. I walk around and I've seen some waste. And it could be anything. I've Copiers, I feel like our carpet guys come in three times, we only need them once a time. Mm -hmm. I'd like to volunteer to figure out ways for us to save money. If I save XXX, can I participate in 3% of that? You know what I mean? Like those are ways yeah. that I feel like people don't, that you miss. And a lot of your superiors, I think, would be very open to that conversation. I would be. And I always am. That's really um, interesting. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, we never, but it is. It's like, because, right, because it's like, oh, your salary is this budget and that's what it is. But if you can find, found money, I mean, thinking about that. Found money. Yeah. I, I never go through, I, like, I, my mom, I'm, any, any place I go through, I can walk through and be like, mm, I could see 45 ways that there's an opportunity to save money here. Right. Um, and that's like thinking like an entrepreneur too. Like right. whether you work for yourself or you don't, people value like this person is thinking about this company as if it was their own company. Right. Which there's is all the so obvious valuable. stuff too in terms of like, you know, obviously working remotely, right. education, um, exposure, mentorship. Um, you know, there's tons of ways that you can get value, I think, from your organization beyond just financial. And don't hesitate to negotiate your salary. Make mm -hmm. sure you're checking pay scale, you know, on a regular basis or SHRM um, on a regular basis to see that you're being paid at par. There's also ways to go in if you think you have capacity. Is there a gap in another department that you can say, look, in the next three months while we're while you guys are hiring, I could take up 20% of that job. Can I get a one-time bump for that? Right. Which is going to be cheaper than you hiring a full body while you're looking for the right person. Like, you got to be thoughtful about um, thinking about money. You know, same thing. Like, math is a finite resource. And if there's how – where are you seeing holes and opportunities that you could jump in and, and, and benefit from that white space? I love that. Yeah, I also think, like – Thinking about, thinking like an entrepreneur is so important and it's often very difficult when you're working for a large company mm -hmm. um, just because of the nature of the job. But I mean, it's interesting to hear from you the perspective of like, make money off of it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> is there something for you that's like, you, it's your absolutely, like you need to have it in a job, be it like flexibility or the ability to work remotely. Like, is there something that you particularly value that kind of like, you could probably do any job as long as it, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, impact is really important to me. It's part of the reason why I ended up leaving DOD is um, I'm, I, I am actually not, less motivated by the money, but it is important for me to feel like what I'm doing matters. Mm -hmm. um, so it's exciting for me to build brands that no one ever heard of and then see them become famous or be ubiquitous because of the efforts that we've done or you actually see employees who come back and say lives are changed or... And it, you, you, sometimes we take things for granted. When we launched um, Ciroc uh, Vodka, the flavor of peach, it was a huge success in the spirits industry. So all the business metrics were great. But at one point, uh, we were touring um, just liquor stores, right? And this, 
And a guy at a store in Atlanta came to me and said, I put my daughter through college because of the success of your brand. He was like, I didn't have money to so my, the guy who was, he owned the liquor store and he was like, we were doing okay, but this brand, we sold so much of it that it was enough for me to put my daughter through college. Oh and I was like, but you don't always think about, I mean, it's a, because, you know, this, I'm talking about vodka, right? So I'm not necessarily always thinking about all of the, those type of things, but sometimes having the idea of like your contributions really matter, you may not know it or not, right? So just thinking, being thoughtful about like, God, what I did today does matter whether or not I see the end output or not. Yeah, that's an amazing story. No, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I just thought it was delicious, but it's <laughs> in Atlanta lots. particularly the peach flavor. <laughs> well, of course, like, it right? makes sense. Yeah, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> we love to ask our guests classically annoying interview questions. So these are the questions that you'll get in an interview that you're like. This is so annoying. There's no point to this. Like, you're not actually learning anything just because it's fun and you've probably asked some of these or been asked them in an interview. So you can answer these how you really want to answer them or how you would recommend answering them if you want to get the job, which is often what we're doing, right? We're not, like, telling our honest answers. We're just, like, playing the game. But the first one is, where do you see yourself five years from now? <laughs> this is a funny one. Um... <laughs> do respond to honesty like I think it's okay um to to one you can speak metaphorically about like no matter what I'm doing like you're dedicated to excellence surpassing your goals etc like the normal kind of cliche answer um and and the reality is I think it's also okay to say like I don't know but I want to be happy I want to win I want to make things better for the people around me and speak about what it means to you uh, to exist in five years versus the I'm looking to being the head of accounting in five right. years. <laughs> I'm going to take your job in five years. Right. Like, you know what I mean? like it's, uh, <laughs> Is that a good uh, thing to say? To <laughs> I think I'll probably be sitting where you're sitting. So, um, The next one is why did you leave your last job? Which I feel like is always a little bit of a trick. Um, but yeah, and how would you answer it? What do you think they're really looking for? Well, I mean, I think people... I don't know if this is true, but a few years ago it was shown that like even if you're terminated from a job, most people six months from now are in a better position than they were mm-hmm. than the previous job. I think it's okay. You know, again, I, I believe in just being honest right. and clear. Like it's okay for you to say like <clears throat> these are things that were great, these things that weren't a fit. The reason I'm here is because I feel like I'm a fit with this organization because of X X Y. Um, I I I didn't wasn't looking for another job when I came here personally. Right. Um, but I felt like there was something incremental I could get here from my previous experience. Everybody doesn't leave a job because they hate their job. Right. Um, but as people, we should be on the quest of opportunities to make ourselves you know, better and bigger and get more exposure. And sometimes just change alone will do that. Even if you're delighted at your current job, to challenge yourself, mm-hmm. you need to do something different. I think it's okay to say, like, I love my job, um, but I, I want to go someplace where I genuinely have a chance to challenge my brain and learn something different. It's like sports. You can't, you know, right. sometimes you got to play with your left hand if you're right-handed to initiate a different response. Yeah. And oftentimes when you were, when you were, because you've moved up within the company, but when you were going to that next role, I mean, a lot of it was kind of new parts of the organization were opening. So that was, you know, something that drove it. But did you often find that you were doing the next job for a month, two months, a year before yes. you moved into the next role? Oh, yes. A thousand percent. Um, and like, this is just like any kind of relationship management, whether it's with you and a consumer and a brand who does it, who didn't know you, they needed you, right? Nobody knew they needed an iPod. So right. go until iPod came out, if anyone knows what that is. I know. Um, like, so well, I'm, like, the thing is, look around your job. Like, be an iPod. Like, figure out, like, what is the whole? Like, nobody realized that they needed this particular thing, but sometimes you have to have foresight and proactively fill a hole and then make yourself necessary. 
Um, before I started this job in 2005, when I was doing research on Sean, a, a well-known music executive named Leo Cohen said, whether you love Puffy or you hate him, he is necessary. And I turned with my boyfriend, now my husband at the time, I was like, if I'm gonna take this job, I'm gonna make myself necessary. So the idea is it doesn't, like what you're doing, you could be doing lots of stuff. You could be the person who's reading contracts. You could be the best like janitor anybody's ever seen. But if you're necessary and when your absence feels like a gaping hole that people just have to figure out right. how to throw money and love at, that's the difference maker, I think, in your journey. That's I love that. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. Because sometimes I think we're like, what's my job? Is it making... I mean, even going back to the impact, like, what's that? So are you working with Sean Combs every day now? In every this day. Role? Okay. Yes. And every day since 2005. Right. <laughs> 24 hours a day since 2005. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, a lot of companies now are asking these like really like conceptual, thinky interview questions yes. to kind of get you, you do, I don't even know, what are we even doing? But right, <laughs> they are doing it. And so we love to ask our guests these questions and kind of see what they would answer. Um, you know, this, this one question comes from Lululemon. So if you're interviewing at a job at Lululemon, if you could take anyone on a road trip with you, who would you take and why? Mm. Road trip is tricky because <laughs> we're going to be trapped up with somebody. So right. You know, like, so anybody in the world, um, I'm probably a little insular, so I would want to take my real friends. Right. But, um, but I, I love, like that. But I love, like, um, I love David Sedaris. I would always like to spend, I feel like that would be hilarious. That would I love be fun. Larry David. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, <laughs> I love, well, is anybody living or dead? Sure, let's say living or so dead. Kurt Vonnegut. Okay. Oh, wow. This would be amazing. Be very good. That would be an amazing trip. Um, golly, I think, is that good? Yeah. Good? I'm, yeah, learning, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm learning so much about you in this interview, in this job interview. We've reached our lightning round, which I'm going to just ask you a question and kind of quickly say the first thing, um, the best job you've ever had. President of Combs Enterprise. Okay. Right now. I love it. I love it. And what's the worst job you've ever had? Uh, worst job would be, hmm. Oh, I, oh, okay. So funny. So coffee beanery. So when I was working at coffee beanery, it was, you know, it was cool. But my boss, I don't know if he had like a, some type of drug habit, but his nose would bleed like on the floor. Oh my God. Oh my at God. LaGuardia Airport. No. And he would put like, it's really horrible actually. He would put little um, tissues in his nose and walk around no. like, welcome to coffee beanery. And we would be so appalled. So I just don't he know. would see the oh no no he would see the customers like out in the floor. I, I assume retrospectively I was seventeen. Now I look back and I'm like oh clearly he must something have had, was like, wrong. A drug right. or something, something was but, wrong. Um, yeah, it was just crazy. That's so gross. It was just really gross. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so gross. That's me. One of the worst. Right. Worst. 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 <laughs> we did have someone who was like a dental assistant. That's pretty gross. But uh, that, that, those are in the running. <laughs> What's the best career advice you've ever received? So much, corny, I'm sure. but right. like my dad would always just say, like, do what you love, and the money will follow. And I, I believe that I really do. I love that. I, a lot of the best career advice comes from dads. Yeah, on the show. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they know Sorry, what's yeah. up, those dads. And <laughs> have you ever received like a really bad piece of career advice? I know that sounds weird, but like something someone's told you that you're like, I no one should listen to that. Well, you know what I would say. Um, when I came to this job, I had to send out, you know, you send out your, like, goodbyes, my right. new information. And I worked in this, in, you know, I was working in the music industry. I got, like, a lot of calls of saying, like, wow, you know, you don't need, you're doing great. You're, you, wow, you don't, don't need to do, do that. It. You don't need to be someone's assistant. I got a lot of people suggesting I don't come. Um, and for me, it's, was a, it's been a great decision. Yeah, I hope you've sent them each a bottle of peach, <laughs> of peach syrup. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? I don't have any, like, people, I'm sure people 
well, they were giving the best advice right. they can. But that's why you just can't. You have to know what you can do, and don't right. and, and don't think small. Right. I think that's a great point. Like people are going to give you bad advice, and it's usually the best intentions. intentions. So I mean, it's really like had genuine intentions, screening it and knowing what's best for you. Precisely. Right. Yeah. What's a really memorable? You've had, probably had so many, but what's the most memorable office moment you've had? It could be good. It could be bad. Office. Okay, I can think of two. So one in the office that wasn't good is we thought we lost one of Puff's dogs. And oh, no, no. <laughs> and this was my first year. Um, and we could not. And it was like a handoff issue where like the somebody assistant shift had left. Right. And I was like, hey, what's going on? Oh, no one knows? Where <laughs> yes. So it was like a all, luckily like Puff's sister, shout out to Keisha, um, like helped us. I don't think he doesn't even know the story. Like we were like. <laughs> I hope he listens we to like this. like looking around and finally. Um, was she? She was in the building. We used to have our the whole building was ours. She was like in the storage area, like on our sixth floor at the time. We found her like five hours later. Oh, she was. And just I had given us a cutoff. I was like, okay, we're gonna have to call him. <laughs> like we I never. I honestly don't think I've ever felt so bad as to think like losing somebody's dog is like such a horrible thing. So we found her, thank God. But that oh was God. definitely like a that and my whole time memorable, there, so memorable. <laughs> yes. And then um, you know, the funny thing with this job is it's like. One of those things where people will tell you, like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a great, but where does it matter where we are? We are always at work. So we're in Saint Tropez, grateful to go to Saint Tropez, but trust, I am working around the clock. Right, it's not vacation. Um, and Sean is like, um, I went up to a dinner party in like an hour for Bono for 75 <laughs> people on my boat. And I don't know how much time you spend in Saint Tropez, I don't really any of the, it's not um, that easy to motivate. Right. Like, like, oh my God, just money, the people, right. Money means nothing, right? So you like, I'll pay you anything to share. No, it's not possible. <laughs> like, so okay. finding flowers and dinners, and we pulled it off. And you did it. But, it was, but finally, I pulled it off because a, a friend of mine came with me. Like, she was she was just like, I'm just going to sleep in your room. Right. Okay, I'm just going to walk Free. on Central Bay. She gets a vacation. She totally, like, helped me out because she happened to be, like, she was doing the fl- flowers for me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, she was, like, she was, like, helping me out. You can go to the cheese store while I go <laughs> get a chef. Um, so, it, it, for him, it probably felt like a miracle, but he didn't know I had a secret staff. Right. <laughs> to this day, we're giving her full credit. No one helped her exactly. at all. And when you're doing some of that work, because I think it is so common, especially in the media communications industry, that's where you start. Like, you start yeah. at that place, and you're doing personal errands, and you're helping, you know, it's hard, I think, I'm not sure how you felt. You were, like, a little bit older, so you had a little, maybe, more perspective, but, like, it's hard sometimes to be like, oh, I'm doing this so this person can free up their brain space to do yes. this. Like, was that easy for you to kind of understand at the time? Yeah, and I think it's important to come with everything. Like, every experience, every person is an opportunity to learn or to teach. And, um, I, like, for example, events. Like, I know some people feel like, well, I don't want to have to get involved. Events is, like, one of the best ways to learn how to be an entrepreneur, right? Like, if you have volunteer yep. to say, I'm going to run this budget, I'm going to run this, run a show, I'm going to manage the time from 7 Like, you, it may feel to you like, why do I have to throw the, the night before Christmas party event? Right. No, it's actually a big learning opportunity to showcase what we talked about earlier. Yep. Oh, you guys gave me $30,000 of the budget? I got three things in exchange, and I saved $10,000. Now you can trust me with the $200,000 budget. Right. That's how you get on your road to running a $100 million budget. Um, so for me, I never, as long as I had a chance um, to learn, and and, and I, I think you, you have to be okay with, Making sure you show up in a way that's garnering respect too, right? Because it is easy. It's a slippery line to say, like, it doesn't matter to what your title is. Even to this day, if I walk by something on the floor, I'm going to pick it up. It doesn't matter, right? But but you can be all in all your brilliance, right, and all your grace, no matter what you're doing. So you can show up in a presidential way no matter what your job right. is. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a really great perspective in terms of you're doing that stuff to, like, understand how mm-hmm. all of it is important. It all matters. Yeah. I would try, when I used to hire um, Sean's assistants, <clears throat> I would say, at the time we had a very robust tie business, Sean John, would say, if you, you may think, if he wears the wrong tie today, right, and he goes into his press or he gets photographed in the street, it could drop our tie business right. by 30 to 40%. That actually affects about 1,200 people at Federated, internally, the money that pays for our rent, et cetera. So if he asks you to get two ties and you feel like you're doing something that's not consequential, it's enormously consequential. Right. I think you need to approach everything you do with your organization with that levity. Right. And your job, I mean, and that's just life advice for your job, right? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, yeah. Take, like, everything ma- every decision everything matters. matters, right? It yeah. affects someone. I think that's really, really good. What's one thing, you know, you want to tell our listeners or you want to share that no one knows about you or that you couldn't find on your Wikipedia page, like a personal interest or... Um, um, I was really good at Taekwondo, but then what? I saw I was almost black belt, but then I got bored and wanted to go to the movies, so I started skipping my Saturday sessions. <laughs> How old were you? I stopped when I was probably like 12. Okay. But I used to like win competitions, break wow. boards, and stuff like that. I was pretty good. Did you think about getting back into it? My daughter's in it now. My daughter's in it now. We put our dreams on our children. Switch. <laughs> she will be at the Olympics in Taekwondo, no question at yeah. all. And what do you feel like is one of the most exciting things that's happening at your company right now? Um, so we just recently launched in a new category uh, in spirits, the Ciroc VS okay. um, in Brandy, which it's pretty revolutionary because at this level of a premium brown spirit in the Brandy space, um, no one's really done it well globally. Um, so we're excited to kind of take a chance. We really That's believe great. in the brand and the product. And we really believe in what Ciroc means um, and being able to come and expand what the Ciroc portfolio means in different spirits. So, so far it's been doing great. We sold out in a couple of cities wow, already. Wow, congratulations. Um, yeah, so we're really thrilled about the future of Ciroc VS. We started talking about coffee. Let's wrap by talking about cocktails because because <laughs> that's what you're doing. That's the world in which you're living. What is your cocktail of choice? So first, not exclusive conversations, by the way, because a splash of Ciroc French vanilla in your latte, if you are 21 and older, will make your day so amazing. This is the best tip you're ever going to hear. <laughs> responsibly. This is going to be the best tip you're going to hear on this really? podcast. Wow. Okay, good to know. And my favorite Ciroc is actually um, Ciroc coconut with just a tiny splash of pineapple. Oh, that sounds so, so good. good. I just feel like, oh, I'm in summer in my brain, even if it's cold outside. Do you just get to ha- do you drink a lot at work? <laughs> well, it's my job. Right. It is my job. So I take my job very seriously. Your tolerance is yeah. probably really good. that's why good. we also have aqua hydrate to drink responsibly. A little bit of water, a little bit of Ciroc. This I'm taking with me for sure. Well... Where can our listeners find you, follow you? Are you on social media? Yes. Where are you sharing your yes. tips and tricks? Um, Dia Sims, um, everything is. So okay. my Instagram, Twitter, everything is just... 2M, D- so it's D-I-A-S-I-M-M-S. Yes, okay. exactly. D-I-A-S-I-M-M-S. Instagram, Twitter. All the same. Awesome. I make it easy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> your time you. and these tips. I had so much fun talking with you. Now I want to go out for a cocktail. <laughs> if you want more information about this podcast, you can follow New York Women in Communications on Twitter at N-Y-W-I-C-I. Thanks so much to Dia, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orcutt, Chrisanne Grise, Kylie Harris, Elizabeth Roberts, 
Andrea Goldstein, Mandy Carr, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to newyorkwiki.org slash podcast. That's nywici.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.